Good morning. <clears throat> Is this working? Okay, great. Um, welcome to 7th Street. If you would all please join me in the call to worship, and if you are able, please stand. We gather to worship with many needs and in many morning moods. Some are ready to shout, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Some echo the psalmist anguish. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Some are looking for guidance and direction from the word of God. More to be desired are they than gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Some long passionately to be close to God. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. God stands ready and able to respond to our needs. In that assurance, let us worship God. The Please join me in the confession. God of life, forgive our denial of life, our destruction of its hopes, our denial of its needs, our distorting of its possibilities. Fill us with your spirit of life, that we might be people of life, servants of life, encouragers of life, signs of Christ, the life of the world. Hear these comforting words. If you repent and believe in God's redeeming mercy, your sins are forgiven. Trust in God's promises and begin anew your life with God and all people. Amen. At peace with God, let us now offer the peace of Christ to one another.
Please be seated. This morning's first reading comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 14. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. The word of the Lord. morning again, friends. So our gospel reading this morning is from the first chapter of the gospel of Mark, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Ah. I felt my body relax as I settled into my seat on a red-eye flight from Seattle to Boston. It was a bulkhead seat right against the window, so there was plenty of leg room and a place to rest my head. No one was sitting in the center seat, and so I had both of my armrests. Yeah, I was real excited about it. 
And I had put in my headphones, of course, before I had even set foot on the plane, and I had a book in front of me, and I planned to keep my eyes assertively forward, because even though I like people, I am an introvert. And so being held hostage on a plane with a conversation with someone I may or may not like is somewhat of my worst nightmare. But I was prepared, and so with headphones in and book in front of me that I wasn't actually reading, I began to situate myself for the long overnight flight across the country, hoping to fall asleep soon and wake up as the plane touched down hours later on the other coast. Things were looking good. It was going to be a relaxing flight. Suddenly, though, there was a tapping on my shoulder. And so even with my headphones in and my eyes very assertively face forward, someone was attempting to get my attention from the aisle seat. I was hoping it was an accident, and so I very naturally pretended to fall asleep. But no, he kept tapping, just kept going. And so with a bit of hesitation, I took my headphones out of my ears and I put down my book and I tried to passive aggressively sigh a little bit as good Christians do, just really to make sure that he knew that I was not interested in talking to him. But I prepared myself for the conversation. He looked warm and nice enough and I thought, I can, I can do this. Hello, he said. My name's Jerome, and I'm a salesman, and since we're stuck on this plane together for the next six hours, I thought we might get to know each other better. What do you do? He asked. Well, despite my initial reservation to enter into conversation during the flight, I felt excited. I felt excited for this question because I was a brand new minister. I was 26 years old, fresh out of divinity school, and serving my first church in Seattle, Washington, and I had just been ordained. And I was still in awe of the fact that I was actually doing what I was doing, called by a congregation. And so when Jerome asked me what I did, my pulse quickened, and my pride welled up within me, and I responded, my name is Jamie Lynn, and I'm a minister at a church. Oh, like a children's pastor, asked Jerome. I didn't know what was coming, y'all. No, I replied, I'm an associate pastor. I work with children, but I also work with adults. But they don't let you teach the adults, do they? You don't like preach or teach men, right? Jerome inquired. I was so naive. I told Jerome that I did teach adults and that I regularly preached on Sundays to a congregation that included, yes, both men and women. And then he immediately got out his Bible. Well, you're just wrong, he said. Your church and the people who called you are just wrong. Scripture is very clear, Jamie Lynn. Women cannot be ministers. Oh. <laughs> Jerome proceeded over the six-hour flight to quote every scripture he could think of that seemed to speak against women serving the church, and he flipped furiously through his Bible. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, and his list went on and on and on. And as my 34-year-old self, I would have gotten up and found another seat, but my 26-year-old self just sat there and listened. And so finally, he settled on what he called his favorite scripture about women. 
and he opened up his Bible to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, which is not a typical text to tell women to be quiet, and he focused on verses 30 and 31 of our Gospel reading from today. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. You see, Jerome said, she began to serve them. This is God and Jesus calling women to serve the men around them and to serve the church through the teaching of other women and children, through preparing food, Jamie Lynn, and helping the men with what they need so that they, the men, can be leaders. She serves the men. I don't mean to offend you, he said ever so sweetly, but God does not want you to be a minister. I was not surprised that Jerome felt this way. There are several Christian traditions that do not believe that women should be pastors. Thankfully, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, in which I am ordained, and of which 7th Street is a part, they think differently. But in some traditions, women are thought, it's thought that women should cook, and that they should teach children, and that they should submit to their husbands and to the men around them. Clearly, Jerome said in that tone that some people can take when they are sure that they're right, clearly, women cannot be clergy. In this morning's Gospel text, the author of the Gospel of Mark outlines some of the earliest moments in Jesus' ministry. We are right at the beginning. This is only his second healing miracle. A few of his newly called disciples, Simon and Andrew, well, they tell him that Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And so he goes to their home, and Simon's mother-in-law is lying in bed. And he touches her, and he heals her. And as Jerome pointed out all those years ago on that red-eye flight, she serves them. Now, as many of y'all probably know, the majority of the New Testament was first written in Greek. Our English versions of the scripture are translations of the original Greek text, and so when interpreting scripture, it is often important to return to its original language. Now, I got a C in Greek, everyone, so you're just going to have to bear with me here, but the word translated as serve here in Mark 131 comes from the Greek word diakonu. This word makes many appearances in the New Testament. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan before his ministry begins and the angels come to take care of him, the angels offer Jesus diakonu, translated in Mark 4.11 as they cared for him. And when Matthew describes Jesus himself in chapter 20, verses 20 and 28, he writes, just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life for many, Matthew uses the same word to describe the ministry and work of our Savior. When describing deacons in the biblical text, those who do the work of the church, who lead and teach and support and guide, again, this same word appears. In Romans, when speaking about his own ministry, Paul writes, but for now, I am going to Jerusalem in service of the saints. And again, the word used here stems from that Greek word translated as serve in our text this morning. So angels, Jesus, Paul, all of them are described as engaging in this service. A better translation of the word translated as serve here in chapter 1, some biblical scholars say, 
rather than she got up and began to serve them, it might actually be she got up and began to minister to them, to care for them and offering spiritual support. She got up to do the work of the church. Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, and she stood up and she ministered. Before anyone else knows that Jesus is the Messiah, before a single one of Jesus' disciples understands who he is, before any other human being gets up and does the work of the church, here in this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Simon's mother-in-law stands up and she ministers. And there are many more like her in our text. Martha, whom we meet in the Gospel of John, was one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. Mary Magdalene is one of the first witnesses to the Gospel, proclaiming, I have seen the Lord. It is women who are with Jesus through the entire crucifixion, and it is women who are the first to see the empty tomb. Tabitha, a widow, meets us in Acts, and we are told that she financially bankrolls a large portion of the early church. In our earliest stories, women are getting things done. They are ministering and they are supporting this newly beginning church that is not yet a church. So like Jerome there on that red-eye flight, we can certainly interpret the text to communicate that women cannot be pastors. But it is an equally valid, academically respectable, equally faithful interpretation to look at that original Greek and look at the women of the New Testament and to affirm with a resounding yes their ministry and their qualifications to serve as pastors and professors and ministers and clergy. On the day of my ordination to the ministry on July 25th, 2011, I got down on my knees. How many of y'all have been to an ordination service? It's beautiful. And I got down on my knees and the weight of our conference minister's hands came down on my shoulders. And then I felt the weight of all the other ordained clergy as they placed their hands on my head and neck and shoulders and back. And then the elders and then the board and then the members of University Christian Church came forward and they too laid hands on me. And finally, the entire congregation joined me there on my knees at the front of that sanctuary in the middle of my ordination service, and they said, yes. Yes, Jamie Lynn, we affirm you, we see you, and we acknowledge your call. And much like this moment in my ordination, this morning in our text, Jesus' call to Simon's mother-in-law does not happen in a vacuum or in isolation. It happens in community. She is in the house there, in front of some of Jesus' disciples in the earliest days of his ministry. And in front of all of those people, Jesus says yes. It may be tempting for us, 7th Street Christian Church, to feel pretty smug right now and to lean back in our pews here today and say, we've got this. There's a lady in heels preaching right now and... Holly preaches every Sunday, and so this is kind of old news, and why are you preaching to the choir, Jamie? It is tempting to say that, but unfortunately, this message remains incredibly relevant in our world today. Only 24 of the CEOs of all the Fortune 500 companies are women. In the state of Virginia, women are paid 78 cents for every dollar a man makes. 
And in 2010, a multi-faith sample of 11,000 American congregations found that only 12% of all congregations in the United States had a female as their sole or senior ordained leader. 12%. These facts are startling, and unfortunately, the news is the same. The confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, the stories that continue to pour out from survivors of sexual assault in the church, even in our churches every day. Me too, me too, me too, me too. So unfortunately, this is not old news, 7th Street. Supporting women in leadership is real, and it is an active charge and challenge for us each and every day, now as much as it ever has been. And so the question before us this morning is how will we continue? How will we continue to support women who serve and lead and preach and teach just as Jesus did here in the Gospel of Mark? How will we stand with those who say me too? How will we, as a radical act of our faith and our beliefs, respond to any person, whether it's Jerome on a red-eye flight or to the head of denominations across our world, who seeks to demean women or deny their power, value, and fierce worth? How will we say to the women in our midst every day and in every service, yes, yes, you are called and we will support you? May we be bold, may we be faithful, may we follow Jesus, may we say yes. Amen. Please stand now and join me in the singing of our hymn of commitment, verses 1 and 3 of hymn 501, There is a Balm in Gilead.
seated. And am I not supposed to go? Oh, I thought I was doing prayers with the people, but it's in the bulletin that you are. I'm just going to quietly walk to the... The Lord be with you. Let us pray. There are a couple of prayers that I want to start with. First, uh, Bobby Hamlet is home from the hospital, but it is because he is going into hospice care. Please keep Bobby and Clara in your prayers. Uh, this is, of course, a very difficult time for them. Also, I would like to offer a prayer for Reverend Rachel Woodall, who is on a woman-to-woman -woman journey to Cuba with the Disciples Women. And please keep her and her mission in your prayers. Dear Lord, we are gathered in this place to offer our prayers to you. We live in a troubled and dangerous world, but a world of our own making. You, Lord, are with us in this world every second of every day. Yet we have become very good at ignoring your presence. Quiet our souls so that we may know your presence. Listen for your voice. Hear your guidance. Know your love. Do your work to bring to fruition your kingdom here in this world. We know you hear our prayers. Help us to have the peace to hear your response and the wisdom to do the work you are telling us is ours to do. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Holy One, you call us to be your people, and in doing so, to lend our voices, our lives, ourselves, and our gifts to your work of justice and equality in the world. May these gifts, given generously and with great hope, be a part of your mission and your call. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and our hope. Amen. You may be seated. In that process, over the years, one Sunday morning, two women came forward to serve as elders, Mary Parr and Harriet McEwen. Very formidable women, both public school teachers, one of them even the high school librarian. Shivers of fear should be going through your bodies now. They taught us in many ways as Sunday school teachers and especially as elders, as all the elders do when they stand before us and give their prayers. They remind us what we, the church, are all about in partaking of these elements that all people, men and women and all people, are invited to come and partake at this table because that's who we are, that's what we're about, and that's who Christ calls us to be. Formidable people. Formidable Christians, formidable followers of a formidable Christ who calls us to love, to cherish, to hold up, to feed, to clothe, to teach each and every one that no one goes without. To our formidable God, we give thanks as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive these elements by joining together in song Number 417, verses 1 and 3. Jesus took a loaf of bread. He blessed it. 
He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave it to them, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink you all of it. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. how you meet the needs of all creatures. Here at this table, we receive the bread of life, and here we recognize that you meet our deepest needs in Jesus Christ. Nourish our spirits and strengthen our souls. Nourish and strengthen this congregation and your church everywhere. Dedicate us to your purposes and lead us by your spirit, that we may do your will. Amen. our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks for this opportunity to come together at this table once again to partake of the bread and the cup, to be reminded of the sacrifices Christ made for all of us, especially on Calvary's cross, where he died that we might have life. This day we give you thanks for life and its importance in the world. We give you thanks that life is more important than any possession, than any contract, than any agreement, than any possible thing we could any possession we could ever hope to possess that life is indeed precious to each and every one of us and to so many other creatures with whom we share this planet feed us with these elements we pray to life in the name of christ jesus our lord amen
presence, grace, and the promise of eternal hope and a world made new. You sent to us your own child, Jesus, who reached into unexpected places, calling women beyond the limits of their times, equipping men for nurturing love, welcoming children into your holy embrace. Together, as those whom you call to serve, we remember the prayer this Holy One, Jesus, our Christ, taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us join our voices in our closing hymn, verses 1 and 4 of hymn 658, Restless Weaver. Beloved, go from this place knowing that you are indeed loved, knowing that you are indeed called. And above all, go from this place and offer a divine yes to all those who seek to call and serve and preach and teach and lead. Go now in peace to love and serve our God. Amen.